Lord, we thank you for your beauty. We see your beauty in the created world and in the world that is heard and in that choir singing over us. Lord, we are weak, and this sermon is just an example of, of human weakness trying to grasp at your infinite goodness. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take just weak words written on a page and through your power, your blessing, your goodness, do something transformative in our hearts and help us to see you more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, we are looking at the different statements of the Apostles' Creed. We've been doing this since the beginning of September. We're, we're getting close to the end. End of October, we finished this series. And in this uh, series, we're looking at this ancient creed. You may know it. You may not know it. Um, but we're looking at the different parts of it, and we're asking, what is it about these different statements that are so meaningful, not just to our faith, but to our life. I mean, how, how do these different statements that we repeat or recite, how do they move in our hearts and, and change the way that we live and change our, our inner life? And as we've done every week so far, um, I invite you to stand. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed together. The words are on the screen, so if you've never said it before in your life, don't worry. We have the words for you. Stand up real quick, and let's say this together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. What is important about the statement, we believe that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty? That's what we're looking at today. Why is that important? Why not just go straight from the resurrection? We believe that Jesus rose again to the part about the Holy Spirit and the church and the saints and the other things that we're going to talk about next week. Why, why do we talk about Jesus, Jesus' ascension into heaven? And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 1. If you brought your Bible, um, you can use that. If you did not bring your Bible, you can reach in front of the chair in front of you or to the side in front of you and find one of our Bibles and turn to page 1077 if you're using one of our Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, um, I would love to give you one. You can see me after the worship service, and I'll get you a Bible right then and there, and uh, it will be yours to keep. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up into heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. 
After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them, Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts. There's another famous book in the Bible written by Luke Anyone guess what that is? The Gospel of Luke. At the end of the Gospel of Luke, this ascension of Jesus is written about. He writes about it then. He writes about it again in Acts. Why does he write about it twice? The answer, because it's really important. Um, I want us to notice four ideas that Luke intentionally strings together here in what we just read. They're not just miscellaneous ideas that Luke happens to cobble together. He intentionally sets these four ideas alongside one another. So they are bringing of the kingdom, promise of the Holy Spirit, not yet to that slide, um, you will be my witnesses and Jesus will ascend, okay? Or Jesus ascends. So four things. The disciples ask, when are you going to restore your kingdom? Jesus says, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And then Jesus ascends into heaven. Not miscellaneous ideas. Let's see them as a whole. Let's put them together. And now we can go to that slide. When we say we believe that Jesus ascended into heaven, this is what we are saying that we believe. We believe Jesus will perfect his kingdom by using us as his witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sitting at God's right hand. To the ancient audience that read this letter, Jesus sitting at God's right hand is unmistakably the sign of Jesus reigning. He is now reigning as king. There's this fantastic vision from uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 7. We looked at Daniel a few weeks ago, the same chapter. Didn't read this vision. Here it is. Um, there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days. Now, who's the Ancient of Days? There's only one person can be the Ancient of Days, and that's God. Approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And what happened when he was led into his presence? Go on to the next verse. He was given 
authority. He was given sovereign power, glory. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So that's, that's Jesus arriving at the right hand of God. It was like the official coronation. Here's the king. Here's the king. Now, have you ever thought, Jesus, you're the king. I'll give you that because the Bible tells me so. You're the king. You're the king of kings. You are the undisputed heavyweight champion. I know that, Jesus. But if that is true, have you ever thought this? If all of that is true, why did your kingdom seem weak? Why does your kingdom seem weak? Have you ever thought that? I, I, if you're reigning, if you're reigning, Jesus, why do we see all these regimes, these brutal regimes pop up in other parts of the, the globe? These brutal regimes. How do, they, how do they arise? If you are reigning as king, how does that happen? How, how do weak unassuming, unthreatening Christians around the world, how are they thrown into prison? How are they tortured? How are they persecuted? How are they killed, Jesus? If you're reigning on your throne, why does your kingdom seem so weak? Have you ever asked that? I've asked that. The reason is this, because Jesus is a contrarian king. He's a contrarian king, meaning he doesn't respond the way that we would expect him to as king, and he doesn't follow conventional wisdom. In other words, if we put one of you as king, you might do things one way, and we'd be like, yeah, that's, that's how I'd do it. And Jesus is like, that's not, that's not my way. It's not my wisdom. It's not my way of doing it. He's contrarian to how we would expect maybe a king to act. So let's look at the statement that Jesus will perfect his kingdom by using us as his witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit. Talk about how Jesus is our king. So first, Jesus will perfect the kingdom of God. This means that he will bring his kingdom to full completion. And what you need to know uh, is when the disciples asked, Jesus, are you now going to restore your kingdom? They were they were building on the hope of the ancient Israelite people for centuries before them. Because the ancient Israelite people, they were, they were counting on, they were, they were putting all of their eggs in the hoping in the kingdom of God basket. Now, a lot of Christians today say, hey, we're hoping in heaven, ancient Jews. We are hoping in the kingdom of God coming into full existence. And they knew the person that was going to usher in the kingdom of God into its full completion, its full existence, was the Messiah. And the disciples, let's enter the scene of Acts chapter 1. The disciples are with Jesus. And they had just seen a few weeks ago Jesus be resurrected from the dead. And they're like, Jesus, you know what this means? It means you're the Messiah. I mean, we were... We were not quite sure of that when you were dying on the cross, 
We doubt a little bit, but we don't doubt anymore. We know that you are the Messiah because you are here. You were raised from the dead. You are the Messiah. And this means you're going to restore the kingdom of God, right? Because that's what the Messiah does. Bring the, the kingdom of God into fullness. You're going to do that now, right? And Jesus says, well, no, 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 because, because you're going to do it. Because you're going to do it. I mean, I, I'm going to do it, but I'm, I'm going to do it through you. Okay, lousy plan, Jesus. That's not a good plan. I can think of a much more efficient plan, Jesus, of you bringing in your kingdom. That's you doing some miracles and you zapping some things and you zapping some people and you making it happen and you bringing your kingdom right now. That's a good plan, Jesus. Man, don't you, don't you wish Jesus could do one of those like Thanos moves, just a... Just a snap of his fingers and bring in the kingdom of God right now. Just like that. That sounds like a good plan. And Jesus says, no, no, I don't want to do this alone. And so here's the contrarian principle. Number one, Jesus doesn't build his kingdom alone. And we have to ask, why not? Why not do it alone? Because a king can do whatever the king pleases. If the king wants to have a new palace built, maybe only he had a, a palace built just a few years ago. He wants to build a new palace. Well, he can do that because he's king. He has all the resources of the kingdom at his disposal. If there's not enough funds for a new palace, guess what the king can do? He can have everyone taxed, fork over the, the money so I can have my palace built. The king can do that. Now, the king might need to recruit some people to go out and tax people, bring in the funds to have the new palace built. But the king has all the resources at his disposal. And Jesus, that's a human king. Jesus is not just a human king. He's fully God as well. Jesus does not have to rely on anybody to do anything. Why then does Jesus tell his disciples, Hey, you're, you're going to help. Why, why does Jesus say that? Well, if you look at what the, the, the heart of the kingdom of God in its fullness is, well, it actually starts to make sense. So two scriptures about what the kingdom of God, the heart of the kingdom of God really is all about. One is Isaiah chapter uh, 11, verses 4 through 6. He will strike the or This is the, the Messiah, what the Messiah is going to do. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And then look what is said will happen. Go, go back. One, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, they will all kind of like be seated at the dinner table and not one of them will be on the dinner table for the others to eat. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be like that. Okay, and the other scripture is from Isaiah chapter 2. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of all the mountains. Just this imagery of the coming of the kingdom of God. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. What's this kingdom going to be like? They will beat their swords, the people. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hoods. Why? No more swords. No more spears. Why? 
Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. You don't need swords. You don't need spears if you're not going to war anymore. So this is what the heart of the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is going to be like. Peace. No threats. No harm being done. Now, how do you get that kind of a kingdom? Not by legislation, right? (laughs) You can't legislate that kind of peace and harmony, can you? You can't say, all right, I'm going to issue some new laws. You guys are going to start getting along starting now. You can't legislate that. You can't do that by force. You can't be like mama looking in the backseat of the kids that are fighting. Don't make me come back there. You start getting along right now. It doesn't work like that. You can't force it. You can't legislate peace. Now, that is how an ordinary human king may try to do it, by just forcing it to happen, exercising his rule, not Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to do that through relationships, through relationships. So Jesus uses us as his witnesses. He brings about his kingdom in a relational way. He builds his kingdom through relationships. His kingdom, like we talked about a few weeks ago, is just this, com- this uh, complete restoration of the vertical love between us and God and the horizontal love between us and others. That's the fullness of the kingdom of God when, when this is complete, this vertical love and this horizontal love between us and others. And because Jesus will not simply zombify people and say, you will get along, yes, master. You know, he's, he doesn't do that. He's not going to do that because he won't do that. This means his kingdom is built when Christians demonstrate this love and this peace from the get-go, and it just spreads and it spreads and it spreads through relationships. Now, saying all that, I want you to think about how crazy it is, therefore, (laughs) when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, and you will help me bring about my kingdom. Because at that scene with Jesus and his disciples, you have the ultimate all-star player, and then you have a bunch of scrubs playing. <laughs> the, Jesus is the ultimate all-star. He is the all-time MVP, and the disciples are like the junior high D team. I mean, they are the fifth-string players. And Jesus is saying, and you're going to help me do it. What? They are the ones who all ran away from Jesus just a few weeks before when he was arrested. How are they going to do that? So here's the the second way that Jesus surprises. Contrary principle two, Jesus enlists broken people to be his witnesses. And and how, how does this work? Because if I want to face reality, I have to say I'm one of those broken people. Me right here, I'm one of those broken people. If I have to confess, I act like the rest of the world a lot of the time. And how can I be a good witness to the world if I'm acting like the rest of the world a lot of time? I get stressed out. And when I get stressed out, my joy, it just evacuates. And then I get 
irritable and grumpy. And my family would say, you're not being any fun to be around right now. I mean, that's, that's real life a lot of times for me. Ah, if I were, yeah, I, sometimes I walk around, I see people having one of these things, whatever these things are. And I'm like, well, if they've got one of those things, I need to have one of those things. I have these feelings of entitlement. And if, if you were to just transcribe, or if I were to transcribe my thought life, Many days it would just be me, 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 me. How can, how can that help me be a good witness to someone? I don't see how it works. Jesus, how, how, how can I be me, 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 and effectively love someone else? How does that work? Well, here's how. Here's how. Acts chapter 2, verse 33, which says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he, Jesus, received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. So the how is through the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus ascended into heaven and he gave his Holy Spirit to believers. And what does the Holy Spirit give to believers? What well, says in verse 8? It says that the Holy Spirit that we receive... Jesus gives us power through the Holy Spirit. That's how we receive power through the Holy Spirit. The question is the power to do what? And if you think back to the book of Acts and the disciples receiving the Holy Spirit, you might say, I know the answer, the power to speak in tongues, because this is chapter 1. I know in chapter 2, those disciples start speaking in tongues. It's crazy power. And then there's explosive growth in the church in Acts. Well, let me tell you, the explosive growth that took place in the church in Acts did not come through the speaking in tongues. The speaking in tongues got a lot of people's attention, but that's not what led to the explosive growth of the church. The explosive growth in Acts came when Christians demonstrated a changed life. You know, the Apostle Paul went from someone who would gladly throw people in prison and be killed for their faith in Christ. He went from that to going to someone who would gladly be thrown in prison and be put to death for his faith in Christ. That's a changed life. The apostle Peter, he went from someone who thought that and the, the, the kingdom of God was for the Jews. I mean, he was a Jew, he was a faithful Jew, and Jesus was a Jew. So why would the kingdom of God not be for the Jews? Peter went from thinking that to knowing God shows no favoritism and that God wants all to be saved. And there's this interchange in Peter. That explosive growth of the church came because the Holy Spirit gave people the power to change from the inside out. And if you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit gives you the power to change from the inside out. Often we can, it, when I, I can do a pretty good job of putting on a good external show where from the outside it looks like, hey, things are going pretty good. I can do that while at the same time being kind of a mess inside. 
The Holy Spirit is there to help change our insides. So Stephen was another individual in the book of Acts. You might remember Stephen. Stephen was stoned to death because of his faith in Jesus. And as he was being stoned to death, he said, Father, forgive them. Forgive these people who are stoning me. How do you do that? How do you do that for people who are killing you? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Changed him from the inside out. He had this inner fruit that is described in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He was filled with that. So why is there a gap between the fullness of the kingdom of God and what we see today? Why is there that gap? That gap is there because the, the Holy Spirit is growing this fruit in us, and he does not do it in a vacuum. The Holy Spirit doesn't zap you and have fruit be there instantaneously. Fruit grows from a combination of nourishment and difficulty. Think of a tree. There's a seed in the ground, and that seed breaks apart. It falls apart. It dies, and that's some difficulty. But something better starts growing up from this seed, and that seed is nourished. Comes from nourishment and difficulty. That seed is nourished, and a little stalk starts growing out of the ground, and it's nourished. The stalk becomes a tree. Now, in order for that tree to endure, what has to happen? In order for there to be lasting fruit year in, year out, what has to happen? Roots have to grow down deep into the ground. And my friends, that only happens through difficulty. Put on that tree stress, put on that tree to send those roots deep down into the ground. So fruit comes through nourishment and difficulty. You can ask King Jesus, if you indeed are on the throne, why is there this gap between what we want to see and what we do see? Why is there difficulty today? Jesus says, because difficulty is my training ground for you. And I will nourish you through my Holy Spirit in that difficulty. We are developed through delight and difficulty. We grow when we experience the delight of the Lord and through difficulty. My time of greatest growth in faith was in college when my mom got sick from cancer and died. And I was loved on by this Christian community at Texas A&M University. I was nourished by the delight of the Lord. I saw the delight of God in these Christian friends as they loved on me. And I grew in that difficulty of just coming to grips with with my mom's death. It was through delight and through difficulty that God grew me. And here's another way that we are like trees. Um, Trees take time. They take time. When we lived in Northwest Houston, we had uh, in our yard nothing but pine trees. 
And there's nothing wrong with pine trees, right? Pine trees are nice. You might love pine trees. That's great. For me, a pine tree isn't an oak tree. And and one one day I noticed next to this pine tree, I noticed this live oak that was growing, this little little stalk of a live oak growing out of the ground. I was so excited. And you know what we did? We cut down that pine tree so that oak tree would grow up. And we watched that little oak tree grow. You know how much that oak tree grew? Grew one little ring each year. One One little ring. It went from this big to like this big the next year. It grew one ring at a time. And I wanted to see that oak tree just be big and huge and beautiful. No, just one ring at a time. And we're kind of like that. And and we can get impatient with ourselves and say, Jesus, can you hurry up this inner process, this inner change? Because we want to be different. And Jesus says, no, just one ring at a time. That's that's how you get to grow, one ring at a time, one ring at a, per year. Come on, speed things up, Jesus. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm, you're gonna, I'm going to grow you one ring each year. <laughs> you see, Jesus has all the time in the world. <laughs> he has eternity to bring about his plans for us. He says, I'm building you for eternity. See, when you reign completely, you are completely patient. We reign incompletely, and so we get impatient with ourselves, with Jesus, with our circumstances. Jesus says, no, don't worry about it. I'm going to grow you just one little ring at a time. You'll be all right. I got you. I'm reigning. So contrary in principle three, Jesus' timetable will appear slow. And we're going to talk about that more next week when we get in, uh, when we start looking at the community of saints, the, you know, the, the church. Uh, but right now, the next time that you are going through a relationship struggle because you're growing at the rate of one little ring at a time and other people are growing at the rate of one ring at a time and next time that you have relationship struggles because of that, uh, next time you're spending time with someone that gets on your nerves and seems to push all of your buttons, Next time you are thinking, wow, I really have to show forgiveness and grace to this person over and over again, and you start thinking, don't think, man, I hate this. Think, God, I know you are in this. I know you're in this. I know there's this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to grow fruit in me right now, to grow me, to develop me. Just a thought here. How many of you have... Uh, what's known as an extra grace required person in your life. That's someone that you just, you know, I've got to show lots of grace to. You have an extra grace required person in your life. A lot of, I mean, come on, we do. We know, unless you live in a cave all by yourself, you probably have an extra grace required person in your life. Um, and we often think, gosh, God, you sure are patient with that other person because he seems to be in my life a long time And what we need to be thinking is, God, you sure are patient with me because I still get irritated at that person. I still have a hard time being around that person and just showing grace and kindness 
God, you're, you're, you're patient with me throughout all of this. Because I'm still a work in progress. Thank you that your timetable is slow, God, and that you're patient with me, that you're gentle. Contrarian principle number four. Jesus is gentle. Jesus shows power in gentle strength. He's patient. He doesn't force. And I think it's because he knows he's won the victory. He doesn't have anything to prove. When I feel like I've got something to prove, guess what I start doing? I start forcing. I start trying to put on a show. I try to impress. I I get anxious because I want to get it right. Jesus is like, I have nothing to prove. And so he's able to be gentle. There is not an ounce of doubt in Jesus that he has defeated evil and the devil. There's nothing that threatens him. And if we could just stop believing that other people are threats to us, we could be effective witnesses. If we would just stop thinking that other people are always judging us and thinking poorly of us. Have you ever thought that? That someone, oh, you do something wrong and, oh, that other people, those other people must be thinking I'm just terrible, that I'm a failure, that I'm lousy. Do, Do you ever start thinking that people are just kind of judging your performance all the time? If we would stop being thinking of people as threats, we could we probably could be a pretty effective witness to them. And we can stop thinking of others as threats because we have a king who's reigning over us. And he has his Holy Spirit inside of us. And so we can show that gentle strength as well. We can be strong, but we don't have to force in that strength. We can be gentle. We can be gentle. When you believe Jesus reigns, the way you see people is invitational, not adversarial. I start thinking of someone as someone I can invite into a life with Jesus and his kingdom instead of thinking of someone as an adversary or as an enemy or, or an enemy when I really know that Jesus is reigning over me and his Holy Spirit is inside of me. I don't have to think of people as adversaries. Instead, I can see them as people to invite into this life with God. In the 1980s, um, during apartheid in South Africa, Archbishop Desmond Tutu led a particular worship service at his cathedral, and that worship service was supposed to be like a, 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 a rally, a political rally fighting against apartheid. And the police came in and put an end to that. They, they, they threatened, we will put an end to this if you have this rally. So Desmond Tutu said, well, let's have a worship service. Instead. So they had a worship service in his cathedral. And the police, there were hundreds of police that surrounded the cathedral. And then they started coming inside the cathedral while Desmond Tutu was leading this worship service. As if to say to him, we are listening to what you say to do, and if we hear anything we don't like, we're going to throw you in jail. We will put an end to it. And Desmond Tutu spoke, this system of apartheid cannot endure because it is evil. And then he looked at the soldiers, the, the police around the cathedral, and he started pointing his finger at them. And he said, you are powerful. 
probably looking at their guns, their their armor. You are powerful. You are very powerful, but you are not God's. And I serve a God who cannot be mocked. And then Father Tutu smiled and he said, So, so, since you've already lost, since you've already lost, I invite you today to come and join the winning side. And at that, the congregation erupted and they began to dance in the cathedral. And then they poured out and they began to dance in the streets. And the police, they didn't know what to do. They just backed off. What do you do with a bunch of dancing Christians out in the streets? I want you to carry that thought, I'm on the winning side with you this week. How will you be a witness of that this week? When, when you know that you're on the winning side, you don't have to see people as threats. You don't have to see family members as threats. You don't have to see coworkers as threats, not fellow students with you at school. You don't have to see them as threats because you know the king is on your side. You don't have to be protective of yourself. You can invite them into this relationship with Jesus. If they reject you, it's okay because you're on the winning side. If they think you're a little weird, it's okay. You're on the winning side. What do you have to lose? Nothing. Because you already won. Is there someone you can extend that invitation to this week? Build that horizontal relationship with this week. When you know that you're on the winning side, you can be patient with yourself. Maybe maybe that's one thing you need to remind yourself. I can be patient with myself this week because I'm on the winning side because the Lord is reigning over me. His Holy Spirit is in me, and he's growing me. He will grow me just one ring at a time, and he's fine with that. And I can be patient with myself. Listen, you can know that Jesus didn't die and rise again so that you could continue struggling in an area. I mean, you can know that. And you can be intentional about growing in that area. But you can, just as Jesus has shown you grace and is patient, you can show yourself grace and be patient. And that doesn't mean just not ignore what you're struggling with. And sometimes you have to pull people in with you and say, will you help me with this? We've got, after this worship service, we have prayer, a prayer team that will pray for you confidentially. And if there's one way you want to grow, that little ring that needs to increase in your life, After the worship service, go up to the prayer team and confidentially they'll pray for you for that growth to happen in your life. But remember, you are a tree. You are not a weed. He is growing you slowly, so give yourself grace. And when you know that you are on the winning side, you can be patient with your circumstances too because you know Jesus is reigning. I, I mean, I know sometimes... Sometimes it just doesn't seem the picture adds up. Jesus being on his throne and what we see. But I know this. I know this. I know we have good news to share. We have good news to share. And on some days you can question, Jesus, are you really in control? But I know this. You can trust that Jesus is fully in control. Let's pray. Lord, we we thank you that you have died and have been raised, and now you reign. 
Our lives are firmly in your grasp. Tomorrow is firmly in your grasp. And the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. And we don't have to be afraid. And in fact, we can reign with you and build your kingdom in this world. May it be so. May it be so in Jesus' name. Amen.